Hello again, fight fans, and welcome to episode number 185 of the Neutral Corner Boxing Podcast. I am your host, Michael Montero, for Boxing Monthly Magazine and BoxingMonthly.com. The theme of this week's episode, to spar or not to spar. I never thought I'd be discussing this on a boxing show, but yes, to spar or not to spar. Cooking with Joel says, smash that like button, and you know what? He's right. Everyone, smash that like button. Go ahead and give that like button a uh, Sergey Kovalev jab. And uh, we'll talk a little more about him in a second. You know, guys, news and notes-wise, not a whole hell of a lot going on, man. We talked about uh, Golovkin Derevyanchenko being finalized last week. We talked about Ruiz Joshua 2 being finalized last week. I'm sure you guys have seen some of the footage online of Andy Ruiz having an early birthday party recently, an early birthday party, because his birthday is in September. I think it's September 11th of all, of all dates. And he'll be in camp training for AJ. So he had an early birthday party. He had some naked sushi girls there. He had uh, waitresses in lingerie and stuff. Now, look, he wasn't there drinking or anything like that, I don't think. Um, if, he, if he had a, some champagne or something, maybe, but that's about it. So I didn't make too much out of it. I will just say this. Andy Ruiz has been enjoying his moment, very, very much enjoying his moment. Now, AJ Anthony Joshua is a world traveler. His Instagram feed, he looks like an Instagram model, right? So he's enjoying himself too. But in between all that, he will post videos of him doing mitts in the gym him doing, him doing some uh, light work in the gym, on the bag. Him running down the street, doing road work. Ozzie says, Ruiz Buster Jr. <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't know. A lot of people are starting to wonder, is, is uh, Andy Ruiz going to be the next Buster Douglas? I don't know about that because styles still make fights. However, I don't know, man. You know, one guy's definitely been in the gym more and making changes to his game and doing certain things putting in work more over the summer than the other. I will say that much. But, man, news and notes-wise, guys, that's really it. That's all that's going on right now, man. We're, um, we're kind of just in this holding pattern, right? We got, I will say this, the first three quarters of this year, not the best. We got a lot of upsets. We had a lot of fun. But the fourth quarter of this year is going to be lit. You got to remember, man, we got the World Boxing Super Series, Golovkin, Drevyanchenko, Peterbiev, and Vozdik. We've got uh, Ruiz, Joshua, too. We should get Williams, Herb, too. What else, man? What am I forgetting? We got, a, we got Spence Porter, which is a unification at 147. Right? So we, we're getting unifications in multiple divisions. We got a unification fight coming up this weekend in the UK, which I'll talk about on Thursday's show. Azier says Parker versus Chisora, hopefully. Yes, I've heard them throwing that fight around, possibly. Danilo says Canelo versus Kovalev, too, possibly. Canada Chris says Teofimo versus Kome. You guys are all correct. And I'll talk about the Kovalev-Canelo thing in a few minutes. But, man, I mean, this the fourth quarter of this year is going to be nothing less than spectacular. Seriously. It's going to be amazing. And, you know, considering all the upsets we had the first three quarters of this year... If all those fights come together in the fourth quarter, October, November, December are going to be the shit. I, I just, I can't believe it. Gail says we got Pro Gray and Taylor, Inouye and Donaire. Hell yeah. And don't sleep on that cruiserweight fight either, Gail. That's going to be a good one too. Um, 
Azier says first half of the year wasn't that hot. Yeah, it was a slow year. It was a slow year. But second half, well, not, not even the second half, that fourth quarter, man, I can't freaking wait. All right, guys, let's review some of these fights from last weekend. It was actually a busy weekend. None of these fights were big, though, except for the big one in Russia, which I will get to, I promise. We're going to talk about that fight a lot because I have a lot to say. But uh, Thursday, August 22nd in Indio, California, Gold Boy Promotions had a card with several prospects. Luis Feliciano, 140-pounder, he improved to 13-0. Blair Cobbs, a welterweight, improved to 12-0. They both score wins and stay undefeated. Friday, August 23rd in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, there was a showbox card. Jerron Enos, who I accidentally said Jason Enos last Thursday's show. That was terrible of me. It's Jerron. Uh, he improved to 23-0. He's an outstanding welterweight prospect, one of the top American prospects right now. But the kid can't get no damn t- airtime on TV. I don't know what his management's doing. I never see the guy on TV. It's, it's just ridiculous. Uh, show Jahan Ergashev improved to 17-0. He is a 140, originally out of Uzbekistan, 140-pound prospect. And Vladimir Shishkin improved to 9-0, super middleweight prospect. We had a bunch of prospects fight this weekend. Saturday, August 24th, interim bantamweight title fight in Manila, Philippines. And it was John Rael Casimero scoring a KO-10 win over Cesar Ramirez. Dropped him in the 3rd, 5th, 7th, and 10th. A route to, uh, to stopping him in the 10th. Straw rate title fight in San Juan, Puerto Rico. Uh, you could maybe call this a slight upset. Maybe a slight upset. Well, Fredo Mendez, the Puerto Rican, unanimous decision win over Vic Saludar. He's the only Puerto Rican titleist, I think, right now in the world. You, I never thought I'd be saying that you know, 10 years ago, that there's one Puerto Rican titleist. But uh, Vic Saludar had been on a, a pretty good run as of late, but uh, gets minorly upset here by Mendez. And there were a lot of people out there that felt Mendez could win. So Puerto Rico has a world titleist right now. In Japan, Kosei Tanaka defended his WBO flyweight title with a TKO7 win over Jonathan Gonzalez. And of course, now he is a three-division titleist. But I talked about this a little bit last week. Never left Japan. He's only held the WBO versions of the title in three divisions now like to see him get more on the world stage and unify titles or something like that. But he's knocking on the door of the pound-for-pound pound list. We talked about that a little bit over the weekend. The Ring Ratings Committee, we shot some emails back and forth and thought, you know, is this guy on the door yet? You know, knocking on the door for pound-for-pound pound list? He's close, but he's got to do a little bit more. He's kind of just fighting at the regional level there in Japan. Edinburgh, Texas, about 20 miles north of the Mexican border. PBC on Fox Sports 1. I talked about this last week. This card was stacked, like 15 fights, all with uh, prospects on there. But in the main event, the the big prospect, Brandon the Heartbreaker Figueroa. Omar Figueroa is younger, much more dedicated, and I think much more upside-having brother. Scores a win over Javier Nicolas Chacon of Argentina. I do like the way that Heartbreaker digs to the body. Uh, But look, step up opposition now. This fight proved nothing. He should fight again in November or December because this is basically him beating the shit out of an Argentinian heavy bag. CJ Duncan with the super chat. Thank you very, very much, brother. Appreciate it. He says, good looking out, Montero. Salute. Salute to you, sir, to you and yours. Thank you very, very much. 
Hermosillo, Mexico on the zone last Saturday. Uh, this was a card that I covered for ringtv.com. Those of you who go to Ring site, you probably saw a couple of my articles on there uh, just talking about the fights on this card. Over 12,000 fans were in attendance there in Hermosillo, and uh, it was a fun atmosphere. It was a really, really fun atmosphere. In the main event, Juan Francisco Estrada scores a TKO 9 win over Dwayne Beeman, who I talked about before, kind of came out of the Carolinas. Uh, Canada Chris says Beeman made it fun. Absolutely right, man. That's what I was going to say. Of course, this is for Estrada's WBC Super Flyweight title. Two knockdowns in the first round. And those knockdowns were really just kind of this nervous energy from Beeman. His legs were not under him. He was not very balanced. He was really on the front foot a little bit too much. He needed to be a little more on the back foot. But anytime he got on the back foot, Estrada just picked him off from the outside and tore him, tore him apart. So he tried to dive in, but he wouldn't dive in with fundamentals. He kind of just lunged in, and his feet weren't under him. And a couple of times in the first round, he got put on his butt. He hung tough. He was uh, just really, really, um, man, I'm trying to think what the, what the right word is to describe Beeman. Every time I think of Dwayne Beeman, I think of the character Willie Beeman in Any Given Sunday, that movie with Al Pacino and Jamie Foxx. But he was just uh, stubborn. I guess that's the best word you could say. Beeman was really, really stubborn and, and hung around in a fight where he was completely outclassed. Really, really outclassed. And uh, made it fun. But in the end, Estrada, who was really just playing with his food and doing whatever the hell he wanted. At one point, he kind of put his right elbow on the ropes and just said, hey, come on, come and fight me. And then, boom, hit him. Uh, he was kind of just doing whatever he wanted to do in there and entertaining the fans, and they seemed to like it. This was just rounds for Estrada. That's all it was. For Beeman, it, it proved that he's tough, but, man, he needs a lot of work. If he, but I'd like to see him again. I'd like to see him just because of his toughness in there with any of the other top guys in the division. Why not? Maybe he can learn from this. Maybe he can get into some better gyms and, and relocate his camp and start to learn some more things. Anyway, for Estrada, he wants Cal Yafai next. They want unified titles. Both of them fight on the zone, right? They both have options with Matchroom. Um, I know Estrada isn't with Matchroom 100%, but there are options there. So that's an easy fight to make. Easy fight to make. It'd be a unification in one of the hottest divisions in the sport. Could be the best division in, in terms of depth of talent. But since Inouye moved up to Bantamweight, it lost, uh, lost a little luster for me, but it's still one of the top divisions. But guys, they're talking about Estrada Yafai unifying titles on the Ruiz Joshua 2 undercard. That's great if that happens, to have a unification fight on the undercard of that rematch. And remember, guys, that ain't going to be pay-per-view. That's going to be on the zone. You get that with your, with your monthly subscription. That's, that's pretty damn cool. I think that's good. I think it's going to make that card stronger. Uh, also on this car, we had a couple of prospects. So uh, Shak Shakram Giasov improved to 9-0. and This is another Uzbeki fighter. KO1 win over Darlis Perez. It was this sneaky, snapping, almost whip-like left hook that just kind of came out of nowhere and caught Perez cold. It didn't even look that hard. It was so short, but it was beautifully thrown. Dropped Perez on his butt, and he did not beat the count. That was it, like 30 seconds into the first round. So really impressive win for Giasov. Less impressive win for Philip Hergovich. And I saw a couple of you guys talking about Hergovich. 
He improved to 9 0, a fighter who had a lot of experience in the World Series of Boxing. I think he fought in the Olympics for Croatia, right? I, th- I believe he lost to Joe Joyce in the World Series of Boxing, if memory serves me correctly. But man, he, he kind of looks, yeah, Canada Chris says Hergovich looks slow as hell. I agree. Not very fluid. Uh, let, let me explain this. Okay. He's fluid in the sense that he throws a lot of punches from different angles, kind of like Joe Joyce, but he's slow. So you can actually be really, really slow and fluid. You could be really, really fast and stiff. I know it sounds crazy, but an example of it would be Anthony Yard. Anthony Yard is really fast, really explosive, but he's so muscular and so fundamentally poor that his punches are really stiff and he doesn't get a lot of power on them. They look more impressive than they really are. Hergovich and Joyce, they're really slow and methodical and you can see their punches coming from a mile away, but because they come from such various angles and with fluidity, meaning they do throw punches in bunches, they actually have an effect. And Hergovich, when he started to land on Heredia, the fighter, his, his opponent, um, they, he did have an effect. And I think um, Azier says a Jogba is really slow. A Jogba is an example of a guy who's technically faster, if we're talking about heavyweight prospects, faster than Hergovich with his hands, faster than Joyce with his hands. But I think his punches actually have less effect. Now, if he catches you clean with one big shot, sure, it could be lights out. But in terms of combinations in the pocket, I actually think Hergovich and Joyce do better work because there's fluidity to their work. And Ajagba is a lot of one punch at a time. He's kind of muscular and stiff. So if that makes any sense. I don't know if that makes any sense to you guys. But Hergovich, I remember, I don't know, the last time Danny Dubois fought, a month or so ago, I talked about how Dubois is my top heavyweight prospect. And a bunch of you guys responded and said, nah, man, says Philip Hergovich guy out of Croatia. He's the top prospect. Where are you now? Where are you guys now who are riding my ass and saying, nah, it's, it's Philip Hergovich. I'm not seeing you guys in the comments section right now. It's funny how that shit works. It, I'm telling you, it's just funny how that shit works. I still stand by what I said. And remember, all you guys were saying, Effie Ajagba was the guy. And then he didn't look so good in his last fight. Meanwhile, Daniel Dubois, who I'm still really high on, I think, look, is he ready for a title shot or anything like that? Hell no. But he has the most potential upside. We don't know if, it can, if he can catch. We know he can pitch. Can he catch? How does he take a shot? How is he going to respond to adversity? We won't know until that happens. But right now, if you know, I had to put stock in a heavyweight prospect, the one I would put it in, Daniel Dubois. So anyway, uh, look, I'm not, I'm not over Hergovich, okay? I think that there's still some potential there. But, you know, a lot of people are trying to compare him to the Klitschko brothers, and I'm sorry. Uh, even Vitaly, who was kind of slow, he wasn't, Vitaly was twice as fast as Hergovich and, and much more athletic. And, and Vladimir was twice as fast and athletic as Vitaly. So Hergovich is not on that level. I think people are too quick to try to draw these comparisons let the guy develop. Let's see what happens. But I'm not on the hype train yet, okay? Also on this card, Liam Smith and Jono Karol score wins. Um, let's see. Okay, um, Hergovich. I should also mention that he's probably also going to fight on that Ruiz-Joshua 2 card. 
So that Joshua, Ruiz Joshua 2 card in Saudi Arabia is shaping up to be pretty fun. Again, if we get that Estrada Yafai, that's an interesting contrast to Styles. If we get that unification fight, of course, I favor El Gallo, I favor Estrada. But that's a fun contrast to Styles. Older guy versus a younger guy and everything else. And the UK fans that are going to be traveling for AJ, of course, they're going to be loud for for a Yafai, but any Mexican-American or Mexican fans that travel over there that are going for Andy Ruiz, they're going to be going for Estrada in that fight. So that's going to be fun. And then if you get Hergovich on there again, I do like the fact that he's staying busy. All right, let's talk about the big one, and then we'll get to questions and have some chat time, all right? Chad Yabens Grusha on ESPN+. Plus. Before I get to the main event, um, Ilunga Makabu. Scored a majority decision over former kickboxer Alexei Papin in a pretty good cruiserweight fight. And I feel that I should mention that because Makabu, that, that was a good win for him. That was a good, solid win. He was not supposed to win that fight. Papin was supposed to win that fight. And he is now 7-0 and since losing to Tony Bellew by TKO in 2016. That win for Bellew is looking better and better with age. It really is. Okay, so main event, Sergey Kovalev. TKO 11 win over Anthony Yard, who takes his first loss as a pro. Of course, Kovalev defends his WBO light heavyweight title. Uh, So Kovalev has had a pretty good year and probably will fight again at the end of this year. So he's going to have three fights this year. And this is a guy who really, I thought, should have won fighter of the year several years back. But man, you look at what he's done this year. If he fights Canelo and... I'll talk about how I feel about that fight in a second. But I'm just saying, fighting Edladir Alvarez in February, coming back not just off a loss, but you guys got to remember, technically speaking, he had lost three fights. He had a couple gimme fights in between that, that Ward rematch and the Alvarez, their, their first fight, a couple gimme fights. Whatever, those, those, he was supposed to win those. In terms of his last three tough opponents, he had lost three in a row, technically. I thought he won the first fight against Andre Ward, as most people do. But, of course, he clearly lost the rematch. And he lost the the first fight with Alvarez by knockout, right? To come back from that and not just beat a dude, but dominate him, I thought was really impressive. It it may have been the best win of Kovalev's career. I still put the B-Hop win a little bit above that. And I actually put the Andre Ward win above it all, because I really do think he beat Andre Ward. I was there, right by the ring. I saw it all, up close and personal. Andre knows he didn't win that first fight. Uh, props to Andre for winning a rematch big, though. That was, that was, you know, all him. But I think people are underestimating what Kovalev did in that first, or that second fight with Alvarez, his first fight of 2019. That's a huge accomplishment, man. Huge and people act like Kovalev has no heart, no balls. He has no chin. He can't take a shot. He can't deal with adversity. Go back and watch that damn fight again. Alvarez landed some big punches. He landed some big right hands on Kovalev. Kovalev was in better conditioning for that rematch and mentally more focused. And with Buddy McGirt in his corner, teaching him to pace himself a bit more and just box. Just be who you are and box. Stop trying to get in there and make things harder for yourself. It was a really beautiful performance. This fight with Yard, remember, this was a mandatory fight, but there were negotiations with Canelo. Canelo Alvarez wanted to fight Sergey in the fall. So that delayed things. 
Uh, there were purse bid issues and everything between Frank Warren and Kathy Duva at main events. So that delayed things. This fight originally between Kovalev and Yard was supposed to happen a little earlier in the summer. Remember that? But it eventually gets pushed back to now. And Yard, I'll talk more about him in a second. But say what you will about him. Much bigger than Sergey, Much taller. Much longer. Busting at the seams at light heavyweight. Looked so much huger than Sergey, Faster and undefeated. And there is a mental edge to a fighter that is undefeated. Came in beaming with confidence. This dude was so confident, he rejected a million dollars in step-aside money that was offered to him by Golden Boy Promotions to let Canelo go right to Kovalev. He said, nah, I don't need your million dollars. I'm going to go right into this fight. And for those of you asking, he made more than a million dollars for this fight with Kovalev. I've heard that number being floated around. No, he made more. He definitely made more fighting Kovalev than he would have made just with the millions uh, step-aside from Golden Boy. So he did make more money going this route but he also took his first pro loss, right? However, um, it can't be understated. All those factors, all those intangibles, Yard brought into this fight. And Kovalev boxed very well, had some shaky moments in the seventh, really, really rough eighth round. Was really beat up. Now, at, when I first watched that fight, watching it live, I thought Kovalev may have been out in his feet in the eighth round. But guys, I've, I've watched that round a few times now. He had his wits about him. His legs were a little gone, but his wits were about him. He was not out on his feet. He, uh, he was definitely hurt, but he was able to survive that round and then come back in the ninth round and have a massive, massive ninth round. Look at the punch numbers from CompuBox. This is huge, guys. This is huge. Kovalev landed 41 of 92 punches, 44.6% in that ninth round. Almost landed 50, 50%. I'm not talking power punches. 50% of all his punches. Lands 41 punches in that ninth round. Yard landed four punches in that ninth round. Yard had Kovalev badly hurt in the eighth. Sergey goes back to his corner. Trainer Buddy McGirt says, Dude, if you keep taking this kind of punishment, I'm going to stop the fight. A lot of people read too much into that. A lot of people read that Buddy really was going to pull the trigger. Buddy knew exactly what to tell Sergey to motivate him. Because if you look, Sergey's immediate reaction was, no, 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 don't, no, don't stop it. Don't. He didn't just sit there in the corner and not say anything. He didn't just say, okay, boss. He said, no, 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 no don't stop it. Came out in that ninth round and threw 92 punches. Want to hear a stat? No other round in this fight. Did Sergey throw that many punches? He threw more punches in that round and landed more punches in that round than any other round in the fight. That tells you that he came back in that ninth round and said, listen, youngster, you had your moment, but you ain't getting this tonight. I've gone through too much shit. I've suffered too much. I've been uh, part of the disenfranchised. I've had to work harder than you. You've had a way easier life. You've been privileged. You've had it all your way. You're really good. You got a future in this game if you really want it, but it ain't happening tonight. And he made a stand. And that ninth round changed his life, changed Sergey Kovalev's life, because now he has an eight-figure payday lined up with Canelo Alvarez. I'll say this much. Canelo and his people want to do the fight in early November, which is absolutely stupid. Seeing how much punishment Kovalev took in that fight against Yard... 
It was a brutal fight. It was a rough fight. He was very, very tired at the end. But there's no way he's going to be ready to fight in early November. If the Kovalev-Canelo fight happens this year, it has to happen in December. So Golden Boy Promotions, Canelo, if you really want to move up, no tricks, no catch weights, no rush right back into training and get this guy you know, in a short camp with no rest, none of that bullshit. If you want to do it, do it the way Mikey Garcia did it. There were no tricks. Mikey Garcia moved up in weight, no excuses, fought Spence at 147, didn't rush Spence or kind of catch him off guard in between camps. None of that, none of the trickery. That's how it needs to happen for Canelo and Kovalev. Now, if that fight does happen, okay, I got to favor Canelo. And at first, I really, I've been thinking about this. I really thought Canelo would stop Kovalev. And it's very, very possible, all right? Canelo can dig to the body. And unlike Unlike Yard, who really didn't start digging to the body till late. Guys, believe it or not, Kovalev landed more body punches in that fight than Yard did. The guys on ESPN, Andre Ward and Tim Bradley, kept talking about Yard's body work. It was actually Kovalev who landed more body punches. But Yard started going to the body effectively late. Late, right? Canelo's going to start going to the body in the first round. What I don't know, what I honestly don't know, is, is Canelo going to be powerful enough? This is what I keep going back and forth on. Powerful enough to stop Kovalev to the body. It's possible. You know, it's certainly possible. And that's what I first thought when this fight was being discussed. Yeah, that's why I don't like the fight. But I'm starting to wonder, you know, can Canelo have the kind of power at 175 that Yard has, that Ward had? I don't know about that. So I'm start, I still favor Canelo, obviously. The fight's going to be in Vegas if they do it. And, you know, he's going to have three points up on the cards before it even starts with at least two of the judges. So I still favor Canelo, but I keep going back and forth between late knockout or decision because I just don't know how his power is going to translate up to light heavyweight. I do know this. Kovalev's game is to jab, right? And all he's going to do against Canelo is stay at mid-range and long distance and jab. And when they get close, he'll attempt to hold. And it's up to Canelo to not allow Kovalev to hold. Also, it's possible Kovalev every now and then can land an uppercut, a sneaky little uppercut. He does have a decent uppercut if Canelo barges in. The thing with Canelo is his head movement so great. His head movement uh, is all over the place, right? His upper body movement. I don't know if, if Kovalev's going to be able to land that jab. I just don't. Now, Gennady Golovkin landed jabs on Canelo. He certainly did. But Golovkin wasn't punching down at him. He was punching across at him. Sergey's going to be punching down at a shorter guy who gets low. And, you know, I, it's not going to be like when Sergey fought Andre Ward. You know, in terms of body styles and fi- fighting styles, Canelo fights a lot differently than Ward. Ward could be hit. Ward wasn't that fast or that slippery. Ward was just very smart and mentally tough and fundamentally sound. Canelo is actually a pretty slippery dude, and he's able to get low. And that's something I think is really going to bother Kovalev. So, yes, I favor Canelo. Am I saying it's a pushover? No. There are a lot of people on Twitter saying this is a cherry pick for Canelo. It's a cherry pick in this sense, okay? I'm not calling it a cherry pick, but if you look at all four light heavyweight titleists right now, 
Vojtik, Baturbiev, Bevel, Kovalev. Who would you say is the most vulnerable right now? It's Kovalev, right? Now, does that mean if Kovalev fought any of those other four guys that I wouldn't give Kovalev a chance? Of course not. I'd give him a chance. But I'd favor Bevel to probably beat him right now. I'd favor Vozdik and Baturbiev to probably beat Kovalev right now. Also consider Baturbiev and Vozdik later in uh, later next month, uh, a couple months, are going to unify titles. The winner of that fight is the actual champion at light heavyweight. So if Canelo wanted to move up to light heavyweight and fight the champion, that's going to be the winner between Vozdik and Baturbiev. It's not Kovalev. Kovalev has a title. But he is the most vulnerable of the four title holders. He's the oldest. He's been stopped. None of the other guys have been beat. Kovalev's been not only beat, but stopped multiple times. And he's had some rough fights. The last couple years, he's taken some punishment in the ring. So it's not fair to say Canelo going after Kovalev is a cherry pick because that insinuates that it's an easy fight. It's not going to be easy. But he is going up against the guy with the greatest reward in the lowest risk right now at light heavyweight. It's the most vulnerable, oldest, most busted up, most past his prime light heavyweight title holder that Canelo and his people are going after. And oh, he just so happens to be vulnerable to the body, which is Canelo's specialty, right? So all things considered... Yeah, there are probably 10 other fighters I'd rather see Canelo fight. Be at 160, a guy at 154 moving up, 168, and even 175. There's probably a dozen fighters I'd rather see him fight right now than Kovalev. But they're going to do the Kovalev fight. That's what's going to happen. And Kovalev is going to get that retirement package, benefits package, pension plan type of fight, payday, right? He's going to get that eight-figure payday. So good for him. He's earned it. Regardless of how you feel about Kovalev outside the ring, some of his antics, some of the things he's said, some of the things he's done, regardless of how you feel about all that, the guy in the ring, what he's been through, and again, I'm pretty well-versed on the sacrifices Kovalev had to make, especially earlier in his career here in America, the guy wasn't even getting paid. And again, you know, you want to talk about coming from the, the lower class and being disenfranchised, being a second class citizen, being stereotyped and put in a box. There's a lot of hysteria in this country right now about Eastern Europeans, about people from Russia. There's a lot of negativity surrounding that. And he's had to fight that. But there's also stereotypes in the boxing world about those fighters. And sometimes they have to prove themselves twice as much. And Kovalev's been one of those guys. I think he's finally starting to get some respect as a fighter. Again, all the stuff outside the ring, different. You can have your opinions about that. But the guy inside the ring, I think, is starting to actually get some mainstream respect. Humble Pie says Sergey's an old-school fighter. Definitely is. Definitely an old-school fighter. And he's got an old-school coach. In his corner, Buddy McGirt, who completely outclassed the guys in Yard's corner. Just that was the real, as much as Kovalev outclassed Yard in the ring, in the corners, Buddy McGirt, that was the TKO one. Buddy McGirt's done an outstanding job and he's lined up to win trainer of the year. Regardless, if Kovalev goes the distance with Canelo, Buddy McGirt wins trainer of the year. So let's talk about Yard real quick. He deserves credit. 
didn't take that step aside money, got right in there, fought with, uh, with a future Hall of Famer and did very, very well and had moments. People keep saying that Yard shot his wad in that eighth round and that's why he lost. Go back and watch the fight again. That's not why he shot his wad. That's not why he lost. What wore him down was the 100 plus jabs Kovalev landed. And a lot of those were power jabs. There's a difference between a sticking jab and a power jab. And I'll tell you one thing Kovalev did very well. He landed 15 uh, body shots that were jabs. And a lot of times they were that stabbing jab to the solar plex. That's the area of your stomach, uh, right, right at the bottom of the rib cage, the, you know, your first few abs. And a lot of guys don't target that area when they spar. They try to go around and work the liver. Those shots, you can see them coming easier. But if you get a guy coming in and he's trying to jab up top or throw something up top and you can get under him and you can stab right there in those, right at the top of the abs. If he ain't got his stomach tensed up and he ain't expecting that shot and he jumps right into it, it's debilitating. That sticking jab, that sticking power jab to the solar plex, I'm telling you right now, very, very often it's more debilitating than a liver shot, a liver punch that you see coming. Now, if, if you're stretched out and you don't protect, the liver shot, of course, will paralyze you. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about your typical roundhouse body shot, right, to, to the side. I'm telling you right now, that sticking jab right up the middle on the stomach and Kovalev stabbed uh, Yard with that 15 times in a fight. CompuBox counted 15 of those. That is what wore Yard down. It wasn't... Guys, Yard is in his physical prime. I get it. He was tired after the eighth round. But so was Kovalev. They were both tired. The difference is Kovalev had worn Yard down. And I saw some people that had the fight even after six rounds. Even after eight rounds. Why? And I'm like, what fight are you watching? Jabs matter. I kept tweeting that because I know there were certain people in the media that you guys pointed out to me that had to fight even like after, again, four, six, eight rounds. Those are guys who are letting some of their dislike of Kovalev politically, personally, and everything affect and cloud their judging. Also, a lot of people, I think, were scoring on a curve. They thought that Yard was doing a little bit better than they expected because some people bought into this story that Sergey Kovalev was just going to annihilate this kid because he had no experience at the, at the elite level. And um, that, that's ridiculous, number one. Styles make fights. And I told you guys last week, don't be surprised if this thing goes the distance. But if Kovalev does stop him, it will be late. But Kovalev is going to box cautiously. I told you guys that. That's what most of us thought. But because Yard did better than some people thought he would do. They gave him rounds. That's just ridiculous, man. I, I'm just, I'm looking at punch numbers here. I got my CompuBox pulled up. And um, I thought this, I tweeted this stat out. I thought this was very telling. In rounds five through 11, okay? That's seven rounds. Seven rounds, Yard landed four jabs. He landed four jabs in seven rounds, including... The two rounds he won big. The seventh and eighth round, he landed two jabs, guys. Seven rounds, four jabs. In that same span, Kovalev landed a bunch. In the entire fight, Kovalev landed 115, including, like I said before, 15 stabs to the body. 
And a lot of those are power jabs. It was a power jab that knocked Yard on his ass. And a lot of people thought that was weird, and some people were suggesting it was fixed. I hate when people say, oh, but that's fake. Obviously, they don't, people who say that don't know what they're talking about. Uh, Yard jumped right into that last jab that Kovalev landed, and it was a power jab. Kovalev's power jab is like a lot of guys' right hands. And you've eaten over 100 of those and you're exhausted? Brandon Attaway says, Yard gave up. I completely disagree, brother. He got dropped by a hard, stiff jab. We've seen it before. Miguel Cotto did it to Alfonso Gomez. It's happened before. We've seen it before. He was just beat up. Here's another thing. At the end of that fight, look at both guys' faces. For all the power people talk about Anthony Yard, the speed, the reflexes, he's so big and strong, all these big, impressive muscles, he's so hot. Ooh, look at those delts. Mm -mm -mm. I just want to rub oil on him. All those punches he landed, there's not a, barely a mark on Kovalev's face. Meanwhile, if you look at Yard, his face was busted up, really busted up from jabs from a smaller, older, slower guy. Jabs matter. Jabs matter, ladies and gentlemen. All right. What else can I mention about this fight? Oh, let's talk about the sparring thing real quick. Sparring. And then we'll get to your questions, guys. Okay. So Yard and his, uh, his uh, trainer said before the fight that they don't spar and that they did not spar in preparation for Kovalev. I tweeted about this. A bunch of you guys responded saying, man, they got to be trolling you. And I was like, yeah, you know what? They're probably trolling. Turns out, no, they're apparently not. Even the ESPN commentary guys were talking about this. You have to spar. You can't reinvent the wheel, okay? Let's leave boxing for a second and look at American football. For you guys watching overseas, I'm talking about American gridiron football, not your football, our football. Contact sport. Professional football. You play on Sunday, right? You practice several times during the week. You're not going to go hard in every practice and put on pads and beat the shit out of each other because you don't want to injure yourself for the game. But at least one practice a week, you're going to put on your pads and you're going to have a full contact practice. It's basically going to be a scrimmage game because you have to simulate the game before you play the game. That's why they have a preseason. It's the same shit in boxing. When you are sparring, you're simulating a fight. Now, you can do drills, and drills are very good. You can, you can tell one guy, I want you to be up on the ropes and do defense on the ropes. You tell the other guy, I want you to go in there and work upstairs and downstairs on him and keep him pinned on the ropes. Okay, you do that drill for a few rounds. You could do drills like that that simulate portions of fights, but you, you have to spar three-minute rounds because there are, there are little nuances that happen in a round, Okay. Sparring teaches you instinct. It teaches you rhythm. Rhythm is so important in boxing. When people think rhythm, they think punching. Guys, there's a three-minute round there, and there is a rhythm to a round. There is absolutely a rhythm, and every person's different and reacts to those three minutes differently. But you have to be in rhythm and in step with that three minutes and understand your body and where you're at, and do you need to push forward or pull back? Sparring prepares you for that, prepares you for pacing, kind of goes into what I was just saying. Do you need to, uh, are you tired? Do you need to pull back and get a little defensive? 
if you can't show your opponent that you're going defensive. You have to be able to pull back, get defensive, but at the same time, not let your opponent know and have that poker face and be able to change up the, the power in your punches, the rhythm and speed of your punches, and maybe get a little more mauling with it to keep your opponent off you to give yourself a breather. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's all going to come from sparring. And another word, coping. Coping. That's not a word you hear in boxing a lot. But I thought about this. Sparring teaches you how to cope. I know it sounds like I'm a psychiatrist talking about how to cope with things. But it's, I'm serious. You, you cannot teach these things in a drill. You have to go for a full three minutes. And I'm not saying you need to get in there and bang away for three minutes, 100 rounds a day. You don't even make, need to spar more than maybe 100 rounds in camp to prepare for a fight. And you step it up. You know, you can, you can go at 50%. You can go at half speed, half pace. But you have to simulate what's going to happen in that fight. And you can't do that in a drill. Because rounds are three minutes. And there's no drill in a fight. In that eighth round, all the sparring Sergey Kovalev has done in the ring prepared him for how to survive that round. The following round, it was Yard's turn to get his ass beat. Yard showed the lack of sparring to understand what the hell was going on. All he did was get defensive. He showed that to Kovalev, and that's when Sergey knew he could pour it on because of Yard's body language. I just talked a while ago about how Yard, Yard only threw 46 punches. I'm sorry, he only threw... He only threw five, 39 punches in that ninth round after throwing 90 punches, 90 punches in the uh, eighth round. So guys, I got this wrong. Kovalev in the ninth round landed 31 out of 80. In the 10th round, he landed 41 out of 92. Kovalev stepped up his attack for multiple rounds. It's because Yar let him know with his body language and lack of experience that he was done. And Kovalev poured it on. So in the ninth and 10th round, Kovalev landed 72 punches. Yard landed nine in those two rounds, following the biggest round of Yard's whole career. That tells you everything you need to know. Sparring, you got to do it. It's uncomfortable as hell. You're going to get beat up a little bit. I don't think you need to spar for a thousand rounds in camp like James Tony loved to do, but you got to do it. Okay, so... Um, that's it for the review. Let's get to some questions because I've been blabbing a lot. <laughs> uh, Prime TV says, ain't no substitute for sparring. Yes. Yeah, you, you have to spar. You have to do it. It's just like, again, I'll use the football reference. You have to practice with pads on and go full contact at least once a week to prepare for your game on Sunday. You have to. Prime TV says, this fight reminded me of Joshua against Klitschko, except Sergey was Joshua and he caught his second wind. Uh, you know, I'm gonna, I'll stick with that comparison, but Sergey was Klitschko. Joshua was, was, um, was Yard, but the difference is Joshua spars. So Joshua's sparring and fighting background helped him get through over Klitschko. So your comparison is valid, but I wouldn't switch the names up, bro. Sergey was still Klitschko. And Yard 
was still Joshua. The difference is Joshua spars. He knows how to fight and survive. He's been through some rough moments. Yards had it all his way, dude. He's privileged. He's had everything go his way. So you, you have to prepare for that type of scenario. Let's see what else we got here. FACL27 Fassel27 asks, Mike, do you think stamina will be an issue for Canelo? Like Kovalev, he seems to be to have inconsistent stamina in fights, and 175 probably won't help. Good question. I will say this. Eddie Reynoso, the Reynosos have done a very good job working on Canelo's stamina. He's gotten much better at um, keeping his energy, not shooting his wad, not uh, just getting more relaxed in the ring. And that's a big thing, man. One of the first things a coach will tell you when you start sparring is when you can breathe out of your nose, when a dude is landing punches on you, you're relaxed. When your heart rate is slow, when, a dude, when you're on the ropes and you're shelled up and a dude's teeing off on you and you're breathing out of your nose and you're relaxed, you're good. Most people in that scenario are huffing and puffing and you know, they're, they're ex- they have anxiety. Canelo's gotten very, very good at working with that. I also don't think he's going to come in at 175. He's going to probably weigh 168, 169 against Kovalev. He's going to want to be light, lean, and fast. And uh, that's going to be his advantage in that fight. So I don't think it'll be an issue for him. Another thing, you know, um, Kovalev's work rate, I, I just think it's not going to be enough to seriously bother Canelo, at least from... From what I've seen of Kovalev as of late, he hasn't been as act, hasn't been as active with his punches. I mean, he threw 686 punches against Yard. That's a lot, but most of it was those last three, four rounds, right? Uh, recently, Kovalev. Yeah, see, I'm just looking here. First round, he threw 40 punches, then 52, 51, 57, 64, 58, 57. So it wasn't until the eighth round. What I find interesting is that eighth round where Yard landed 34 punches and had Kovalev hurt, Kovalev also landed 26 of 79, 33%. So Kovalev had a very productive eighth round too. Yard was just better. But that pace, 50 or so punches around, I don't know if that's enough to really wear down Canelo, man. I think to really wear him down, you either got to make him stalk you and make him miss a lot, which Sergey can't do. That's what Floyd did to him. Sergey can't do that. Or um, you got to just pressure the living hell out of him and throw a ton of punches. And Sergey can't do that at this point in his career. MJB Taco asks, you ready for September? Hell yeah, brother. So guys, I will be in LA uh, the week before and the week of the Spence Porter fight. I will be covering that event. That will be my second Errol Spence event I'm covering this year. And uh, I haven't seen, I haven't covered a Sean Porter event in a while. But him and his dad are awesome people. Um, so anyway, I'm looking forward to that. I'm going to be in LA. So all my LA peeps, just keep that in the back of your mind. All right. We're going to do a meetup at some point. We'll definitely meet at the fight. Let's see what else we got here. Prime TV asks, do you see Canelo going up to heavyweight and knocking out Wilder? Ha! Prime TV gets the troll award for tonight. Could you imagine Wilder landing a right hand like that on any middleweight? Oh my God, that'd be brutal. (laughs) <laughs> Nopal Bosianos, Bosianos asks, in your opinion, will there be weight restrictions for Kovalev Canelo? I hope not. I hope not. Because that really tarnishes the fight. 
In my look, I already gave you guys my opinions on that fight. I, I do think Kovalev is the most vulnerable of the light heavyweight title holders. He's the highest reward, lowest risk. All these things I've already mentioned. He's been softened up. It's perfect for Canelo. If he's going to fight any of the guys at light heavyweight, Kovalev's perfect for him. If you further tarnish that by draining him to 172 or something, which is a weight Kovalev could make, he's not a big light heavyweight. Uh, th- that just really looks shitty, man. That just ruins the fight even more for me. I don't like that. Sun Monkey Kong asks, is there any news on Superfly 4? I don't know if it's happening, bro. I don't know if it's happening. Definitely not anytime soon because Estrada and Yafai, like I said, they're probably going to fight on that Ruiz Joshua 2 card. Uh, Rung V Sai is going to fight again soon, but in a ways moved up to 118. So uh, I, I just don't know. I don't know if we'll have a Superfly 4. Maybe next year. Maybe next year. <laughs> DS Kennels asks, does Canelo go back to his style of laying on the ropes and looking to counter against Kovalev? I actually think that'd work against him. I, I really do. I, I think Col- or, uh, Canelo's best chance in that fight is to get inside Kovalev and kind of fight him the way he fought Golovkin in their rematch. That's just the way I feel early on. In the center of the ring, I do think Sergey will be comfortable. But if you make Sergey miss, and as you make him miss, you make him pay to the body and push him back and make it an inside kind of fight, that means you going into him because he's not going to come into you. If you let Sergey dictate the pace, he's going to stay on the outside. You have to dictate the pace to get inside of him. So I think that's the way Canelo's going to fight that fight. Khan Arslan asks, thoughts on Crawford Kavaliauskas? Apparently, it will be on the same card as Comey Lopez. I've heard that. Um, still no uh, confirmation or anything like that, but I know they're working on putting that card together. If they do, yeah, sure, I like it. I, I think that that helps make that a bigger card. That's a nice double header. Kavaliauskas, we all know at some point he's going to fight Terrence Crawford, right? Uh, top rank, doesn't have many welterweights. He's one of the few they have. He still has, I think he still has that O, right? I think Kavaliauskas is still undefeated. So eventually he's going to be fed to Crawford. That's just what it's going to be. I think the mean machine will be in the best shape of his life for that fight and give it 100% and go out on his shield and that's going to make it fun. Canada Chris asks, where is Chocolatito? Hopefully resting. (laughs) Um, I know he had visa issues and stuff like that. He had a fight tentatively scheduled and then there was visa issues. So uh, I'm not quite sure what's up with him right now, but nothing on the uh, schedule as far as I know. H Money Mr. DeZone says, Devin Haney is the next Floyd Mayweather. Well... Floyd is kind of like a mentor for Devin. Devin's worked at his gym a lot. But I will say this. There's never going to be another Floyd Mayweather. Floyd was an anomaly. One of a kind. Ozzie says Golovkin hits harder than Wilder. I don't know, bro. I think Wilder's right hand might have a little bit more pop than Golovkin's. Chris Bergen with the super chat. Thank you very, very much, my man. He asked, will Billy Joe Saunders fill his potential now with Hearn? Yeah, look, at some point, he is going to fight a top guy. I think it'll be a top middleweight. I think they're going to work him down to either fight 
maybe at 160 or it's possible after Canelo, Golovkin, they will do the rubber match next May, regardless of what you hear. That's what will happen if they, uh, if they continue winning. Maybe one of those guys moves up and fights Billy Joe Saunders at 68. That's an option for Canelo. You know, if this Kovalev thing falls through or something, that could happen. But is Hearn just signed Saunders? Is Saunders going to jump right into that kind of a big fight? No, I don't expect that. But look, man, if Saunders stays at 68 and him and Callum Smith unified titles, that's awesome. I'd love to see that. If he wants to move back down to 60 and, not, and fight Demetrius Andre as he was once scheduled to, I, that's awesome. I'd love to see it. I'd love to see him against any of those guys. He has great potential. And I do think at some point, Hearn's going to be like, look, you want to earn, you need to go fight one of these guys. But it's not going to happen soon. You know, maybe toward the end of next year. Yair Herrera asks, any news on the great I am very feel? I am very, very feel. Uh, still no news on an opponent. Still no news on an opponent, which sucks. The Captain Hook Chronicle says, PBC is starting to like you, Mike. Hey, come on, I do good work. You know, Look, I've been really critical of PBC in the past. There are things I would say and do differently with some of my criticisms, but um, I think they recognize good work. And when I cover their events, I do good work. You know, I'm critical, but I'm fair. It is what it is, bro. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, Ryan Orley asked Ruiz versus Joshua rematch prediction. Look, we'll talk more about that as we get closer to it. But early on, I like Anthony Joshua. I've been saying all along Anthony Joshua decision. I may change that. But I do like Anthony Joshua in the rematch for sure. Canada Chris says, BGS is all wrong for GGG. Yeah, BGS, he might be all wrong for a few guys. We got to see. Chris Bergen asks, Billy Joe Saunders versus Danny Jacobs. Dude, I love that matchup. That, that'd be at 168. Or even maybe a catchway to 164 or something. That would be a fantastic fight. I would love to see that. So Hearn's got a lot of guys in his stable in and around that weight class right now. And um, there's so many fascinating matchups that could be made over the next two, three years. A big part of building up the zone for Hearn, because he's, you know, he has a huge deal with them, both in the UK and the USA, is you got to make those fights happen. But I think in the USA, in New York, Jacob Saunders, that'd be a fun event. That'd be a real, real fun event. Boxing and Bulldogs ask, what do you think the monster's weight class ceiling is? You know, I think he could be effective all the way up to at least featherweight, bro. I know it sounds crazy, but that power is legit. Let's see, you know, how he looks against... Look, I think he's going to beat Nonito Donaire. Won't be easy, but I favor him to win. And then there's Luis Neri. Luis Neri is the other top bantamweight. I'd love to see them two fight. Should he win that fight? Go to 22 I think his ceiling may be 126, somewhere around there. And there's tons of fights in and around those weights. That would be awesome. That I'd love to see, man. Fastel27 asks a good question here. Thoughts on Showtime Boxing's future? Seems like Al abandoned that ship. Is this the reason why Ortiz Wilder hasn't been announced yet? Great question. So right now, Showtime has nothing on their schedule nothing they need to fight bad real bad 
Um, you know, PBC has done really well with Fox. The Spence Garcia fight, that was PBC on Fox. That did really, really well. And I thought that PBC, their ads for that fight were really good. They did a really good job promoting it. And Fox would play the, um, the music that they played for their American football coverage. You guys, you know the jingle if you heard it. They play that during the PBC on Fox boxing coverage. And I know it sounds silly, but, but trust me, that subliminally works on people. It does, dude. Because casual, as I say, Joe Sixpack, you know, the casual sports fan in America, they recognize that music. Oh, it's Sunday. Let's grab a beer and watch some football, right? Well, you're hearing that. <laughs> I see he's laughing at me. You're hearing that, that music playing while they're doing ads for, for the PBC fights. And that works on the Joe Sixpack. I'm telling you, it gets them excited. And there's how many guys that were like 50-50 on buying that fight or whatever said, ah, hell, nothing else is going on tonight, Saturday night. The wife, she's got the kids this weekend, whatever. I don't know. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy this fight. There was apparently many of them because that, that fight sold pretty well. So I think that they got a good thing going with Fox. And remember, with PBC on Fox, it's not just Fox. You got Fox Deportes. You got Fox Sports 1. There's even a Fox Sports 2, I believe. And then there's all of Fox's social media. Fox is a massive brand. There's a bigger reach there. And they've proven they can still go pay-per-view on Fox. They're going to do it again later this year. So uh, you get everything you need. If you're PBC, you get everything you need on Fox. You're getting the site fees. You're getting pay-per-view when you need it. You're getting more coverage, bigger scope, bigger reach than Showtime can give you. So Steven Espinoza over at Showtime, he's got to step it up. He's got to offer them something Fox isn't. Is he in a position where he can do that right now? That remains to be seen. Good question, bro. Real good question. Guys, um, one more question and then we're going to wrap it up because we've been going here for almost an hour. Sean Yeager, as a follow-up to what I was just talking about, asked... What's with the streaming services not hiring old HBO or Showtime commentators? It's obvious to everyone that the in-house commentating is subpar. So part of what DAZN and the ESPN Plus, which I call the plus, but more so DAZN, part of what they're trying to do, by the way, quick interruption, Gail Falkenthal says, y'all are lagging on the like button. Do your duty. Thank you, Gail. You get the slow clap. You get the slow cap. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah, guys, smash that like button. Four of you have disliked this video. What the hell did I say? What the hell did I say that four of you disliked the video? Are you butt hurt because I criticized a fighter or trainer or something that, that you are in love with? How the hell? I, you know, I, I give you all this analysis and breakdown. And four of you dislike the video. You guys are pricks. I swear to God. I swear some of you are just trolling. But back to the question at hand. <laughs> Canada Chris says, it's Bill Maher's posse. Yeah, I'm surprised more of them didn't come after me last week. A few of you did, but I'm surprised more of you didn't. Okay, so DAZN. They're trying to build something new, dude. They don't want to bring Showtime guys in or HBO guys in. They want to build their own thing. Remember, this is supposed to be counter-programming to... Uh, to pay-per-view, to uh, subscription cable. You know what I'm saying? Oh, now I got six, six dislikes because I talk shit. So that's what I get. Now two of you jumped in and trolled me. Okay, you know what? Gee, I hope I get more dislikes. I hope I don't get any more likes on this video tonight. 
Let's see how that works. DAZN's trying to build something new. Now, do I think the guys on DAZN are doing a great job yet? No, but I do like some of the guys on the DAZN crew. I think Todd Grisham does a good job. I think Sergio Moore is getting better. Some of the guys on ESPN, I'm not crazy about, you know what I'm saying? But they're trying to do something new. And I, quite frankly, I'm with that. Look, Jim Lampley was awesome. He was probably pound for pound the best boxing commentator ever. Yes, I'm including Howard Cosell in that, okay? He was great. He helped build the sport. He really, truly did. But he also helped build the sport on HBO and HBO pay-per-view. Canada Chris says, more and not my cup of tea. I hear you. I hear you, okay? I, get, I got you. Do I think more is going to be on the zone three years from now? Probably not. But just hear me out. They're trying to build a new thing. You know, uh, Larry Merchant is, is another example. He's from that previous generation. Lampley was the voice of boxing. Azier says Lampley is the voice of boxing. He was, dude. He was. But it's time for a new era. MGB Taco says we need more Sugar Ray Leonard. Oh, my God, please no. Oh, my God. And, you know, there you go. That's a great example, Barrios, because... That's not on a streaming service. That's on PBC. You know what I'm saying? That, that's, and that's what Fox, right? So Lennox Lewis is cringeworthy sometimes. I love Lennox Lewis as a human being, a great fighter, but his commentary, eh, I actually think Sergio Moore is better than Lennox Lewis. I know that won't be popular, but I do. But some of the guys on all the platforms right now need work. Give them time, man. Give them time. Lampley and, and, and Merchant and those guys, they didn't build up that chemistry overnight. They, they worked together for decades, man. So you're asking these new guys to come in and overnight do what these guys have been doing for 40 years, man. It's going to take time. Give them time. But uh, Prime TV says, Mike, you are the voice of boxing. Why, thank you, sir. I, I, you look, do I think I could do that job on the zone? Yeah, I think I could crush that shit. I really, really do. Uh, will it happen for me? Who the hell knows? But I know right here every week with you guys, I'm going to keep it real with you and we're going to do the real commentary. You know what I'm saying? Melvin Perez says Emmanuel Stewart. Hell yeah. Emmanuel Stewart was awesome. CN says Paulie is the best commentator at the minute. I, I think Paulie does an outstanding job. I don't always agree with... He interjects some personal beliefs and stuff about certain fighters sometime into his commentary, but just X's and O's, Paul is outstanding. So, yeah. Don V asks, how many subs do you think the zone has now? Guess, I couldn't say, man. I know that they're bleeding money. It's not good right now, but they have a long-term plan. I talked about UFC before. It took UFC 10 years to turn a profit. The people at the zone, you gotta remember, it's not just the zone in America. They're in like over a dozen countries. You know what I'm saying? So they have other, other countries where they're doing pretty well. And that helps fund what they're doing here in the USA. Obviously, they're spending a ton of money here. But they have billionaires backing that shit. So they'll be okay. Canada Chris says NFL is clued on the zone in Canada. There you go. You know what I'm saying? So give it time. But... If they have a long-term plan, five years from now, it could work out. They just got to make the fights. All right, guys. I'm losing my voice. I need something to drink. I'm going to get out of here. Uh, great episode, man. Good stuff, man. Enjoyed the chat with you guys. Thursday night, 
I'll see you again. Until then, I'll see you at the fights. Peace.